Welcome to yet another episode of the Lowdown Society, everybody. I'm coming to you from my home in sunny Woodland Hills, California. About two weeks ago, I sat down with Why Not Jansveld, our guest today. Uh, he's been on my radar as a great bass player for about 15 years or so. And uh, he was one of the few guys I just hit up cold uh, via a social media message and say, hey, you want to be on my podcast? And he was gracious enough to say yes uh, right away uh, and invite a stranger to his uh, great apartment in Los Angeles. Uh, we had a lovely sort of morning coffee hang. He is full of great stuff, this guy, as far as uh, advice and stories. So without further ado, we'll get right into it. This is Why Not Jansveld. Here we are. Hey, hey. I want to make sure I know how to pronounce your name right, too. Well, I mean, for the past 25 years, it's just been why not, like exactly like the question. Yeah. Um, and, and Jansveld, uh, is how you pronounce Jansveld, yeah. But, yeah. but originally, my first name is Weinand, which in Dutch, mm -hmm. you know, it, it, even in Dutch, it's a fairly uncommon name. I've only met maybe like four or five people in my life who have, it's, it's an old name. Yeah. Um, but anyway, it's, you know, it, it's got strange combinations of vowels and consonants in there that don't make any sense to any yeah. English speaking person. Yeah. Um, and and the, 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 the why not thing came up when I was uh, when I was about 10 years old and, and uh, living in Holland. And my my parents and my siblings and I went to England to visit English friends of my parents. And they they, you know, they took one crack at pronouncing my name and. They were like, yeah, that's not going to work. Oh, wow. <laughs> and so they were like, well, like, we'll just call it because it sounded like why not to them. And so they they started calling me why not. Um, then we went back to Holland. And only when I started coming to the States, uh, it was probably like the first time I met someone and they tried to pronounce my name. And it sort of rang a bell. And I was like, oh, yeah, that why not thing was going to work so you, for me. So you quickly came up with a plan B then. Yeah, yeah. And, and, I, and I don't really remember thinking about it when I came over here, but I, but I do remember it took root like on day one because it just seemed, uh, funnier and easier to remember. And, and the, the alternative wasn't really an option because you know what I mean? It's such a Dutch name. Yeah. It's not like Sven or something like that. Yeah. You, you, you Swedes, you know yeah. what I mean? Like you, yeah. you, you can wrap your brain around that, but Weinald is like, you know, but yeah. I like, what, what, what even is that? I, I didn't plan to have this question on the podcast cause I figured everyone must ask you that so I was gonna not have it on here well you may as well because then whoever listens to the podcast doesn't have to ask me the question oh yeah <laughs> it sort of t takes away a few minds out of the minefield when you meet some of these bass players I guess it's one of these things where I have to I have to kind of get and this was this was the longer version of the spiel usually when people are like what's with the name I'm like oh it's like the bastardized American version of my Dutch name and yeah. like, oh, okay cool so I have to explain it once but then the advantage is that then it's cemented in their minds and they accept it and uh, uh, and then we can just move on. Actually, the real the, the really short version is where where I introduce myself and I go, why not? Like the question. Yeah. Like I often say that. Yeah. And it sort of signals to them like, yes, I heard it right, and yes, okay, that's that's a, I guess a thing. Uh, and what an icebreaker, especially like business, you know, yeah, music yeah. industry, yeah. uptight, you sure. know, like. Yeah. It's instantly like, yeah, the guy's got a sense of humor. Right. You know, life's not that serious. Exactly. That's exactly right. Well, I'll do the official welcome to the Lowdown Society podcast. Uh, I appreciate you having me over to your house. And, mm -hmm. you know, we've never met. So. Correct. Very cool of you. Thank you. Yeah, man. Thanks for asking me. And uh, we are in Los Angeles. And uh, I see some... I see some uh, vintage bases hanging on the walls. You these, gotta, these, yeah, People man. can't see them, but 
but what are they? So, yeah, this is kind of a cool story. So, um, there's so both of these are domino bases, uh, hollow body, kind of you know like, like sort of like bigger uh, versions of of a of a Hofner beetle base type, yeah. type of thing. Um, they look slightly skinnier but slightly larger body, sort of. Larger body. Uh, the, the whole thing is bigger. Yeah. I have a Hofner as well, and that that, that thing yeah. is really dainty. Uh, so. Um, I have another one in my studio, mm -hmm. like this green one that I bought two, oh man, when was it? 20 years ago or so when I was on a, uh, I was fresh in New York and I was on a road trip with, uh, with a, a blues artist named Hugh Poole and, uh, and we had just started playing together, I think, and we were in Ohio, in Youngstown, Ohio, and mm -hmm. we, we loved going to pawn shops and, and thrift stores because mm -hmm. it was still around the time where you could find some cool stuff, yeah. musical or otherwise. Yeah. I bought a drill on one of those trips. Um, uh, and, and at some point, one of these bases was sitting in the window of a place called Youngstown Thrift, and, and the drummer, James Wormworth, came and grabbed me, and he like pulled me outside, and he pointed at the bass, <laughs> and I was like... And it was like 60 bucks and it was covered in dust. And uh, and I was kind of like, oh, and, but then I was like, I can't plug it in and try it out. They're like, it's 60 bucks, dude. Yeah. I was like, right, right, right. So I bought the bass um, and then I played it in his band for years after that. Mm -hmm. and, uh, I, and I could show you, but your listeners can't see it anyway. But it's sort of like a, like a beat up version of this. Um, and so I bought these two on eBay uh, recently just because I was kind of like, man, I, I love that bass. I've had it for 20 years, and it's it's kind of modified and, and like a little Franken Franken bass. Yeah. Uh, and these two are pretty clean, and um, and uh, I don't know. I, I I love I love an old kind of you know quote unquote shitty uh, hollow body bass, and uh, so that, that they're, they're they're really fun to play. That orange one is not that fun to play, and so I think I'm gonna get. They just look like they sound good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they really do, and 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 these do. They're 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 sort of um, they're sort of like a Hofner, uh, but you can uh, you can manhandle them a little more. You know what I mean? Like the Hofner, you have you really have yeah. to sort of adjust your touch, and you do to a certain extent with with these, but they're a little chunkier, and you can you can rock out a little more. Because without alienating a whole company, in case they're listening, Hofners aren't that well made. They never were. They never. I suppose so. You yeah. know, they were never sturdy, great bases. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And um, but man, do they sound good? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's. I mean, I do think it's wonderful that on YouTube nowadays you can just go and listen to soloed bass tracks right, yeah. from your favorite recordings. Yeah, and yeah. Listening to McCartney's tracks. Uh, like many other classic bass tracks that sound super well recorded yeah. in when you listen to the whole record, you go in and listen to the solo track and you hear amp crackling and sure. finger noises yeah, and right, all right. kinds of, oh, the E string super loud and the, right, you know, like all right. these things that you look for when you make your own bass tracks. Yeah. Some of your favorite bass tracks, uh, especially with these older basses, yeah. they're just so filled up imperfections when you solo them yeah. and it's such a good reminder to not be in your own head too much. It's really, really true. This And this is a lesson I've, I've learned, I think, late in life um, to put a little bit of, uh, you know, if, uh, uh, as you say, imperfection. It's 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 it, it, it makes it makes that track stand out. And and my my general tendency is to is to go for you know for for, for smooth and and well yeah. executed and all that stuff. Yeah. And there's certainly something to be said for it. But uh, yeah, you got to put a little that a little bit of attitude in there. Yeah. Yeah.
So moment. what age were you when you moved to the States? 24. 24? Yeah. I moved to the States 21. So there you go. I was home a little bit around 24, 25 for visa purposes. Yeah. But, and I think we probably are around the same age too. So we probably have this, about the same story. I just turned 50. So okay. Yeah. yeah. You're a few years older than yeah, me. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, so 24 was when I when I moved. It, uh, I I did I did spend the better part of a year when I was when I was about 18, uh, in the states as well. But went back to to Holland and, and went to uh, university in Amsterdam. Okay. For a while, and then <clears throat> only then did I uh, did I decide I, I studied translation studies in Amsterdam. Oh wow! Yeah. I was always uh, interested in languages and um, and I did that and I loved living in Amsterdam. But towards the end of that. I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't want to be a translator. Yeah, yeah. Um, that seems that seems uh, uh, kind of like a solitary existence, and doesn't then doesn't pay that well. And so, you know what I mean? Yeah. I was like, there wasn't really any reason for me to stick with it, and I had started playing music more and more and more. Um, and so, yeah, that, I was like, I I should pursue this because if I don't, I'm gonna regret it. So, how did bass come into your life, and about what age was that? Uh, came into my life in the way that it does for, I would say, probably the majority of bass players. I was yeah. a good guitar player first. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I started, uh, I started playing guitar, classical guitar, when I was about, uh, I, th I think I had just turned nine. And I was, I was very uh, clear about it, because I think, it, I think um, around that time, the, the, the perceived wisdom was, you know, you start with like recorder or something like, you know what I mean? Like you have to kind of like work your way towards an instrument like guitar. Yeah. Um, and I didn't want to at all. I was like, no, I want to play guitar mm -hmm. and, um, and found a teacher who did concede that I was a bit young, but he took a look at my hands, which are large. And mm -hmm. so he was like, oh no, I, th I think, I think you'll be fine. And so I started on guitar then. Yeah. Moved to electric guitar. Um, uh, about age 12, I think I wanted one that looked just like Ace Frehley's from Kiss. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was the only requirement, really. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and so yeah, I got a cheap knockoff, <laughs> looked like a sunburst. So was, was Kiss what what lit the fire in your belly? Kind of Kiss, sort of like this is it. Kiss was the first rock band that that and and I have to credit my brother because he found them first. And you know he's a year and a half older, so whatever he thought was cool, I thought was cool, and uh, so both of us were huge fans for like a couple of years, you know. And I, and I was not like like I said, eight or nine, and and um, and yeah, man, th that combination of of rock with a pop sensibility and the makeup and the costumes and the fire and the smoke and the blood and you yeah. know what I mean? It's yeah, irresistible, and I fell for it hard and. Um, Love their live albums the most. Side note: Got to meet and work with Neil Dorfman. Oh wow! In, in New York, obviously many, 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 many years later, and that was, uh, if I'm not mistaken, his first professional gig was as an assistant engineer to uh, Eddie Kramer, working on those live records. And so, uh, this is such a tangent. But I, the next time I, after I met him and, and did some sessions with him, I, the next time I was home in Holland, I went to the attic. And got my copy of Kiss Alive 2 and like opened it up and like looked on the credits and there he freaking was, you know what I mean? And yeah. I was like, it blew my mind. Like this, like he, he was there all along. I just, yeah. and I probably read his name and didn't, you know, didn't log it. But um, anyway, so yes, Kiss uh, got me on the path 
and I wanted a, I wanted a guitar that kind of made that sound. So you, you made an interesting point, which was I was that guy too. You said you were attracted to the rock with a pop sensibility. Yes. And sometimes, you know, in musician worlds, other musicians can, can, can get on you a little bit for, yeah. for liking that because rock with a pop sensibility is what critics hate. But sure, that threw you into, you were, you were attracted to commercial music before you were attracted to, you know, say fusion or anything like that. Yeah, and, and, and of course at the time I, I had no idea that it had a pop sensibility. You know what yeah. I mean? To me it was the most brutal thing I'd ever heard. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? And yeah. so it's, it's hard rock, you know? Yeah. It's awesome. And I'll, and now when I, when I listen back to it, I'm like, oh man, it's so cute. It's very cute. <laughs> a, lot, a lot of Kiss is like, you know, Beatles songs yeah. with a little bit of a grit on yeah. the guitar, yeah. really. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and of course all the theatrics. Um, but hey, man, uh, lassoed my my nine year old ass in, and yeah, uh, and yeah, and so you know, stuck with them for for a couple of years, and then moved on to other things. Uh, but to to get back to your question, uh, only when I was sixteen years old or so, uh, there was a band in school. I think I think this was I forget if we had these like competitions with with between like five different schools in Holland, mm -hmm. and there were like all kinds of artistic endeavors and. Um, and there was a there was a band that already had two guitar players, and they asked me if I wanted to play bass because they couldn't find one. And so I said sure, and uh, so that was that was really the first time I found a bass somewhere and yeah. started playing it. And then super got into it quickly. It was the time of uh, level forty two. Oh yeah. And so yep, and uh, and I don't think part of my interruption. I don't think a lot of Americans are age right. get how big level 42 was in Europe they were massive. Not, not just with musos and fusion yeah. heads but yeah. with like the drunken guy at the bar who knows nothing about yeah. music yeah. still sang along to those fairly involved songs like it was like a yeah. you know Brian Adams song or yeah something, you're right, right? You're so I think right. in, growing up in Europe at that time level 42 is very inevitable yeah. just for anyone who might wonder yeah they were they were massive I think my my first uh really huge concert was level 42 and they were playing at a at a freaking you know stadium in in rotterdam in mm -hmm. holland and i went with my i think i went with my brother and and one of my best friends who was still one of our best friends in holland and yeah that was fantastic and uh and so you know i i i i loved it i loved the way he played bass and, and so i you know i sat with those records and uh went to slapping man i was sitting on my parents couch and just like with my with my walkman and my ear, earbuds in or not earbuds over the ear things yeah and uh yeah man like I, I think that's the first time that i um that i really went deep um on a record or a series of records in order to learn to learn what was going on there and i yeah i, I I went deep on level 42. <laughs> wow. And here we are in your living room with these like vintage. Yeah, yeah, man. So, yeah. My, my, I, I would say that my, um, my sort of like aesthetic sensibilities, uh, my musical sensibilities have evolved um, kind, of, kind of in a backwards fashion. You know what I mean? Like I was into that stuff and then got super into fusion and you know, John Patitucci and all that stuff. And I still think it's great. I just don't listen to it anymore. And, yeah. and then eventually, uh, you know, uh, my, my first stop in the United States was Boston. I went to Berklee College of Music and 
uh, immediately fell into a, uh, a band um, with uh, one guy that I knew when he introduced me to his friends. And so, you know, I started playing with them. And those guys introduced me to the Stevie Wonder and Sly and the Family Stone. And I got to say the Beatles, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like I, I never I never really paid attention to them before. And so, uh, so Boston was kind of like my time to get into you know the 70s really yeah. and uh and yeah and and now i i don't have a i don't have a i i love a lot of different kinds of music um as long as i get a sense that there's uh that there's some honesty in it i suppose but it doesn't have to mean that it has to sound organic you know what i mean it doesn't have to mean that it has to sound like you know old school or anything like that yeah. it can be like the most you know the most pop thing you can imagine or the most rocking thing but i have to i have to feel that some honesty went into it and some originality but uh within those parameters i like a lot of different kinds of music It's interesting what you just mentioned that you had a period where you loved like John Patitucci and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And now you don't really listen to it. Yeah. Uh, it's it's funny how music is almost like people I mm. find in life where mm. they come into your life right. in a very intense way for a short period of time. Yeah. And because it's what you need at that time. Right. Right. Or because you need a lesson that they can teach you. Yeah. And then they're gone. Yeah. I, I feel like that happens with both uh, music and people. Yeah. That's but a, it's a great observation. But it's interesting that uh, that you said you were all about it for a while, and now you're not. And I think I think that's that doesn't take away any validity from that music. It just means that right. at yeah. a certain time you needed it. You know? Yes. Yeah. I, I think you're absolutely right, and I certainly don't disavow it in, on any level. You know, yeah. I mean, I have the highest respect for 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 people who who can play like that and who have a command of the instrument like that. Yeah. And. Uh, uh, and I and I aspire to some of it, um, but there's also lots of other things that I you know like to steep myself into. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, but that's that's a great observation, and and all of those all of those things I think uh, shape what you eventually become as a musician. And, yeah. Uh, and and I think for me it took it took a while um, to um, it took a while for me to think of myself as having an identity as a musician like quite a quite a long time i think i kind of found it in like the last i don't know couple of years if that, that sounds a little strange but like i identify with that you do? a lot yeah it's yeah. not strange at all to me because to me like there's uh you know i mean we all meet so many musician musicians uh over the course of our lives and kind of the worst thing that I think you can be is uh not the worst but but I'm I'm weary of being perceived as um a quote-unquote pro who can kind of do it all you know what I mean but who doesn't who doesn't have a, uh, an identity a personality mm -hmm. and and I think that I am uh well positioned I would be well positioned to be one of those guys because I can you know um to 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 
to digest something and then spit it back out like that that's sort that's easy for me to do mm -hmm. and other things aren't you know like mm -hmm. like improvising and those kind of things Th those are the things that are hard for me mm -hmm. that i have to work at <clears throat> but um uh i think if i if i hadn't been careful i i could be one of those people it's like yeah you can kind of throw anything at that guy but mm -hmm. who does he really sound like it sounds kind of sounds like everybody mm -hmm. um and some people may perceive me that way, and that's okay too. But I, but I, um, I was before you came over. I was thinking about this one, this the the first time that somebody came up to me and was like, "Hey, I was listening to this record, and I thought it sounded like you." And then I checked, and it was you. And I was like, "Wonderful!" It blew my mind, yeah. you know. And this is maybe like you know, I guess it's a long time ago now, fifteen years ago or so. Um, but it made me feel so good because because I I recognized even then like that's what matters you know what I mean like not not that I can execute something perfectly uh, like another like somebody else can but that somebody recognizes that that's me like that's that's meaningful very much so yeah so to back up to Berkeley you yeah. were twenty one when you started twenty four actually twenty four okay right. yeah yeah twenty four yeah yeah. Uh, In addition to getting uh, exposed to a lot of different kinds of music there, yeah. uh, did you meet people during those years that you find now both in New York and LA that you that you end up reconnect and work with people that you... Yeah, yeah. Because I find in Nashville when I lived there, there was a lot of Berkeley people that as soon as they had a professional uh, opportunity of yeah. some sort, they would call other Berkeley people, which I think is absolutely wonderful that that stays after... Yeah. Um, I, I would say it's 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 a little bit of both. Yeah. Um, I, I'm I'm uh, I'm close to and friends with and work with uh, with a good number of people who I went to school with, um, but f I would say fairly quickly after I moved to New York, um, my my circle of friends started expanding, mm -hmm. and so. I, w I would say the, the vast majority of people I work with or call have nothing to do with Berkeley. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and the ones the ones that did go to Berkeley with me, who I do, you know, I obviously stayed in touch with them for, for, for all the right reasons, because they were my friends and yeah. they were great. And, and I love what they do. But, uh, but yeah, so, you know, for, for sure, I would say that, that, that it made my transition to New York easy because I was you know because I had some people that I was playing with and then started traveling down to New York to play shows before I moved there so it, that was my first introduction to um, to like the bitter end and, and, and places like that um, but then it quickly expanded from there I would say so what prompted the move to New York you were already dipping your toes into that water traveling yeah. down from Boston so yeah yeah I, I had been in, at Berkeley for about three years um, and yeah, and so was friends with some people who had either graduated or just or just left, and 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 the move from Boston to New York was a was an obvious one. Um, so this would have been '96, and uh, yeah, and I and I couldn't wait to to get down there. And I even did this thing where um, I hadn't graduated yet from Berkeley, didn't really care if I did or not, but it was helpful with the student visa and and the subsequent. I think you get a a one-year work visa if you graduate and so you know what I mean all, all those things were were obviously uh, uh, beneficial to me 
so I, I, start, I, I basically moved to New York and had, had some construction where I kind of kept plugging away at the Berkeley stuff and eventually uh, graduated. But I, did, I didn't graduate until 98. Okay. Yeah. And, um, but yeah, end of 96 is when I moved. And, uh, and, and so before that, I was playing with uh, my friend Jen Chapin and she had already moved to New York um, and she had... A, she, she would do gigs at the bitter end about once a month or so and get get her friends to come down and so I'd get on the on the Peter Pan bus from uh, from Boston to New York about once a month and play at the bitter end and they, and then you know stay with stay with her with the whole band and, and I mean it, and it was amazing you know what I mean like here I am in the in the West Village and doing a gig and yeah then people came to see her and she was awesome and uh with, with with some of my friends who are who I still am super close to, uh, uh, who, you know who I was at Berkeley with, and so that sort of set the set the tone. And and because we played those shows at the bitter end, I got to know the the, the people who ran the place and mm-hmm. like the people who uh, ran the Sunday night jam. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when once I once I decided to make the move, I went down there, uh, and then. Uh, you know, like knowing the guy who does the jam, that's invaluable. And so I started going there and then, you know, fairly soon I was in the house band. And so that's an even better position to meet people. And uh, so, yeah, I, I, I moved down there and, and I think I made $600 the first month and I was, I was ecstatic. I was like, I'm, that's not a bad start at all. I'm making money and this is my, this is month one. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 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 So, what type of gigs did you find yourself doing the first, say, five years in New York City? Singer songwriter gigs. Yeah. 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 Yep. Um, and and it was kind of prompted by um, by landing at the bitter end, really, you know, and and then and then meeting tons of people and man, like that first, I would say that first five to ten years, like we played. I say we, you know, had a had a large group of musician friends who, who played there all the time and we were there all the time and you know like three gigs a week sometimes three a night you know playing with with this awesome group of singer songwriters and i feel like that was sort of like the last heyday of the bitter end mm-hmm. um although i'm sure some some someone would disagree who landed there after me and had their own scene you know what i mean it certainly you know it certainly didn't end uh <laughs> after i left there but it felt great. There were there were so many talented uh, singer songwriters there, and uh, uh, yeah, had, had lots of lots of great nights there. That's great. Well, yeah. what's your first sort of uh, how do I word this? Uh, I don't want to say established gig, but what was your first gig out of that you got out of New York that was you know meant some national travel and where you felt like okay, this is you know yeah. Um, you know, it, it, it was it was a Nashville singer who who was splitting time between Nashville and New York at the time. His name is David Mead, M E A D, and um, that name. yeah, course. man, he's he's uh, he's a treasure. And um, uh, and my that was that was the first time that I jumped in a van and left New York um, f- with someone who was on a my major label, mm-hmm. and so then so. The, it, uh, it, it was all pretty small scale stuff opening for people and things like that um, but he was an RCA at the time 
And uh, so yeah, that, that was the first time I was like, oh cool, this guy's got a manager, it's got a label and a record coming out, and you yeah. know what I mean, like yeah. and and, and yeah. wind, wind in their sails, so to speak. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah. exactly. And uh, yeah, and it was and it was kind of like the first time that uh, um, that I that I had to sort of tell people like, oh, I can't do it, I'm on tour, and I, <laughs> you know what I mean, and I was like, oh, this is cool. Yeah, I've never been on tour. So I don't want to jump too far ahead, but right. the reason we're here today and the reason I know about you, period, is because of Gavin DeGraw. Oh, wow. Uh, most of these podcasts I do with people that I, at some point made me go, holy shit, you know? Right. And uh, you did that yeah. in, in Gavin DeGraw. I don't know if I saw a late night talk show, mm-hmm. uh, whatever it was, but I feel like it was right when he sort of came out, Yeah. his initial success, and I just... It was one of those things where it was, was on in the background and I was like, holy shit, that's funky and it has attitude and has weight. And I'm like, who's playing bass? Oh, you sure. know? And that was you. So oh, that's wow. how I know about you. Oh, man. That's, yeah. that's so nice to hear. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, when, when did that happen and how did that happen? I jumped on board uh, at the end of 2004. Um, and, and you're right. It, it, it was right when he was breaking. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I, I, yeah, I basically jumped onto a moving train and, uh, uh I think the first thing was Australia. Like, you know what I mean? Just mm-hmm. like, uh, and, and I had some prior commitments and was able to negotiate that and then jumped on, uh, no rehearsal and <laughs> like barely a sound check. Mm-hmm. In fact, now, now that I think about it, it was Boston. Uh, it was, uh either Boston University or one of the other colleges. And yeah, just, uh, just you know, plug my stuff in and, uh, and, and, and got going. And that was my first uh, bus tour. Mm-hmm. So yeah, my first sort of like real deal, like long-term uh, bus tour and everything that, that comes with it. And um, yeah, I did that for about a year and a half. Okay. Yeah. I thought you were on it longer because I felt no. like I saw you with him so much, but probably because you had so much success during that short yeah. time you were with him yeah. that you were able to sort yeah. of... Yeah, it was a uh, it was an amazing time because I you know I met so many people in in that year and a half you know yeah. like we really were on tour a lot and traveled to you know like I said Australia we went to Europe it was you know it was amazing to and and he he's still is now so big in Holland mm-hmm. and so to come back to Holland uh, with with him and uh, you know play the Paradiso in Amsterdam and yeah. you know what I mean it was it, it felt so good to, to be back there I think a lot of people were super mystified like the crew at the Paradiso like the local crew yeah. at some point I asked one of them a question in Dutch and he's, he just looked at me like what you know what yeah, I mean just yeah. like short circuited his brain and even a lot of people <laughs> in the crowd you know I had no idea who I was and yeah. or, or rather just I was just a part of the band and then he introduced me, and he had me say some stuff in Dutch, and I could, and then people were just like, "Wait, what?" Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that that felt good. That's wonderful. Yeah. It seems like, I mean, I was a fan of that early stuff. I thought yeah. it was great stuff, yeah. and yeah. that seems like it would be a lot of fun on a, on bass. Like it's a, f- yeah. a fun gig. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, and uh, yeah, man, I met I met Gavin. Um, before he got signed and uh the the bitter end jam sessions that i was talking about earlier um he he would come in uh and sing marvin Gaye tunes he would he would sing let's get it on or something like that um so he he knew me as like the house band guy and so that's that's how i got involved and uh eventually got asked to go on the road with him 
Oh, wow. Yeah. That's a nice full circle to the right? story of you doing yeah. the Duran, that that's how you got banking. Yep. Yep. And I'm sure that year and a half introduced you to a lot of people and put you in front of a lot of people that you would later find yourself sure. working with. Yeah. Yeah. Where did you go after that? Did you, uh, after that year and a half, did something quote unquote better come along? Or? Um, what happened was we, we did that whole record cycle for, uh, for, for, for his you know, biggest record. Um, then of course there came a whole period where he was figuring out what the new record should be. Um, and he, I think this happens a lot, he, he wanted us to do a record with him. Mm -hmm. So I think the label threw him a bone and was like, all right, take a week, go into the studio. I think they just, you know what I mean? Wanted him to blow off that steam. I don't think they ever like really thought that that would be the record. Mm -hmm. um, and I think we, we knew that as well. But hey, man, you know, mm -hmm. it, was, it was fun. You we, have to try. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so we did that. And then I think he had two more tries. Like the, his, and then, of course, they put in together with, you know, big name producers. And... Um, uh, the first one, I don't. I think he made a record, but it didn't take, or didn't they didn't like it, or it didn't come out. And then the one after that was his next record. But by that time, uh, it's not it's not that something better had come along. But I realized, like, okay, I'm not the guy on the record here, um, and so I could you know I could be the touring guy for for another season. But I think at that time. Like right, right when they came calling for for the next tour, I I started doing some stuff. I was recording with the Weepies, mm -hmm. and they were at the time they were here local here in L.A. They now live in Iowa, but a husband and wife duo um, who make you know beautiful folk music and I say folk, but you know just like really just incredible tunes. Th those who know know it, it. It's one of those things like. Uh, if, if I mentioned the, the weepies to certain people, like about 20% of them will freak out and about 80% will be like, oh, I've never heard of them, you know, but those 20% know. And, and it's, it's incredible music. And so they had asked me to, to do some stuff with them. And so I was recording with them. Um, and, you know, a few other people that I, that I had started touring with. And I just kind of felt it was time to move on. In, in sort of preparing for this podcast, I, I looked at some of your resume too, and mm -hmm. and it seems like you've really gotten to work with some people who really write great songs. And yeah. I think as a quote unquote side guy, yeah. uh, that's that's always number one. If you yeah. get to be around good songs, the bass sort of plays itself, right? God, it makes it so easy. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, and and well, you know that the. the, the we bass players always joke about like, hey, it's so easy. It's only four strings, you know. Yeah. You only got to play one note at a time. You yeah, know? yeah. We, we uh, do that. And and of course, that's you know, the, the, of course, playing the instrument well is a, an entirely different story. But yeah, to your point, man. If if you're in a room with someone who writes a beautiful song and with some other good musicians, like, man, makes it easy. Yeah, yeah. So uh, you just came back from a little Europe run, right? Um, uh, I had a, I had a one-off. Um, I'm I'm going on tour this fall with Natasha Bedingfield mm -hmm. in the U.S. Um, and we just had a one-off in in London, and that was my first show with her. Okay. Yeah. 
So, uh, <clears throat> how how was that so far? One show in. Oh, man, it was great. It was great. It was an entirely different band other than the guitar player, uh, David Saw, who's the musical director. Uh, he, he's the one who, who pulled me into that mm-hmm. into that orbit. Um, uh, so he's he's coming on tour, um, but the rest of the band for this upcoming t- U.S. tour is completely different from the from the UK, UK tour. Okay, gotcha. And uh, honestly, I, I I think they they flew me over to do that gig just to kind of get me in the mix because um, I uh, I only have like one day before this tour starts because I'm doing another tour be- right before it, so <laughs> I'm gonna miss most of the rehearsals. And so they just kind of wanted to get me in the mix, um, and you know what I mean, get all yeah. get, get all the tunes in my head and, and under my fingers, and uh, and so I yeah flew there and did did that one show. So you have not done any rehearsing with her camp yet, or we, we did for that show. Okay. in in London, uh, she seems to be, you know, uh, a true musician too. Is she yeah. is she uh, how was rehearsals and how how involved was she? I always find it, and I think for for bass players that are listening and coming up mm-hmm. to learn how different artists want different want different things yeah. from you i think it's yeah. what, what type of since that's your current situation what type of energy and what type of requirements vibe did she have in rehearsal as far as preparing well it was interesting because we were going to have one day of rehearsals and then i think they, they I, I think she she was kind of like you know that's not a hell of a lot and uh so she suggested we do another rehearsal the day before, which is the day that I flew in, and um, which I thought was it was a great idea. And I, you know, if, if I'm if I'm flying, you know, ten time zones over or whatever, the, whatever it is, I guess it's eight to uh, the UK. Uh, I'd, I'd rather do something when I land than not, because mm-hmm. if I don't do anything, I'm just going to fall asleep. Yep. <laughs> and, yeah. And so, uh, so I was on board, but then I, I actually suggested the, that we, uh, rather than do a full blown band rehearsal that first day, I suggested we kind of just do an informal sort of like acoustic living room type rehearsal where we focus on the vocals, mm-hmm. and because um, uh, preparing for the bass stuff was was a lot of work but I but I could do it and I knew you know what I mean like coming into the rehearsals I knew what I was doing but the vocal parts since we weren't together in a room before that moment um, seemed like something to get out of the way first you know what I mean and so so that's what we did we we uh, we um, we were at this sort of like hotel like apartment hotel complex where like they had these like kind of like big apartments that mm-hmm. you can rent and we just set up in one of those like uh with like all of the stuff going through one little monitor speaker and like a you know stripped down drum set and we're just sitting in a circle like we're sitting right here and we, we just play through all the, all the tunes and uh divvied up the vocal parts and okay you sing this you sing this you sing this while sort of playing through this stuff but not but not full you yeah. know full band style and it was super. Uh, it was super helpful. And um, and to your question, uh, you know, t- she just oozes music. You know what I mean? It's just you know, she's such an incredible singer. And uh, and even in a setting like that, it's you know, she's one of the best singers I've ever heard. Um, but she's also and and also trusts the people that she hires to to do their thing. And she wasn't. Um, she wasn't picky. She was. Uh, everyone was kind of like throwing out little ideas, like, "What if we do this? What if we do this?" So, like impromptu arrangement mm-hmm. changes, and uh, and she was 
she 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 was open to all of them, but didn't blindly accept all of them. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like she, she knew she's one of those people who knows exactly what she wants, but she doesn't come off like a dictator and on any kind of level. You know what I mean? It's a yeah. it, it's a cooperative atmosphere, but she's the boss. Yeah. And you mentioned that you'll miss some of the rehearsals for the upcoming U.S. tour because you're yeah. going to be in another tour. And that yeah. says a lot about her and her camp, too, that they will let you miss tour rehearsals. I for couldn't other believe work. it. Like, I, and I, I didn't ask for it because I, I, I wouldn't dare, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. That's, you know, but so basically I told them when I was going to be on tour. And, uh, yeah, they're, they're basically going to rehearse. There's three, three rehearsal day, days, and I think I'm missing the first two, and they're, they're getting somebody to play the bass. And wh- who are you will be out with? Uh, before that, is, it's, it's with Richard Marks. Oh, cool. Yeah, and we're going to South America. Okay, and yeah. we talked about this before I turned the recorder off. So we we'll, did. We'll, we'll go back. How long have you uh, worked with Richard? Um, so Richard, Richard I met um, through my former band, band that I moved to L.A. with. So mm-hmm. I was in a band called Harper Blend. We, uh, I joined them in New York in about 2009. Um, it was an interesting sort of like a uh, new adventure in my life. I, I, I had worked as a sideman in New York for about 12 years, I think, mm-hmm. at that point. And um, met these guys. Um, they were a proper band. They weren't looking to, you know, hire a bass player or rather that's what they had been doing. And, you know, a bunch of my friends had played, played with them. Um, and I knew that they were looking for a band member. And... And I didn't have anything going on at that time that I was super invested in or, you know what I mean? That was like a real, like sustaining gig. I was kind of of looking around. Mm -hmm. Um, I had flirted with the idea of moving to L.A. I think a few years before that, I kind of came sniffing around here, um, but didn't pull the trigger because got got some gigs in New York and so sort of got off the scent Mm -hmm. uh, there. (laughs) And uh, but yeah, met these guys. Um, and long story short, I, I joined the band, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, 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 you know, earlier when we were talking about musical tastes and my development kind of being a little bit backwards, this, yeah. this was another one of those backwards things where I was like a, <laughs> a professional sideman first, then jumped in a van or, you know, it was like, a, it was like a freaking pathfinder at first and then a van with these guys just, just on a hunch. You know what I mean? I was like, man, um, uh, I, these guys seem rad and I love their music and I love the way they perform and I love their dynamic together and I did a few gigs with them and we talked it over and I was like ah, what the hell let's do this and so um, did that for the next six years um, and uh, and then about midway through that we, we the four of us moved to LA and that's where you met Richard with that band yes and we came here um, and eventually we were like, yeah, this place seems cool. Met a, met a ton of cool, cool people, you know, sort of fell into the hotel cafe scene, which is great. Uh, and then we were on tour. We became friends with Sarah Bareilles and uh, she took us out on tour, opening up for her. And, um, and we were in Nashville and we, and Richard Marks is friends with Sarah. So he came to the, it was at the Ryman and he came to the show and, and Sarah was Sarah was so cool because she she would always uh, come out before we came out and she would introduce us to the crowd. It's sort of signaling like, hey, like these are my guys, pay attention, yeah. <laughs> you know. And she kind of did the same thing with Richard, you know, because they were catching up backstage and uh, and she's like she's like, have you heard this band? And he's like, no. And, and she goes, 
get out there and so she like sent him to to hear us play and he and he uh and he became a fan and and uh uh you know started like <laughs> tweeting about us that like while we were playing and uh so that was really cool and and we uh met afterwards and uh, had a fun time and then i think we had a um residency at the satellite mm -hmm. uh like right after that tour and so we invited him to do one of his songs with us mm -hmm. and he was like i'd love to and uh and so we did a mashup of one of our own tunes with one of with uh, don't mean nothing uh no wait no no it was uh should have known better and it was the same key and the same tempo as as our song but purely by coincidence and so we we did a <laughs> we made it a medley and uh yeah and he i think he invited our guitar player to do some stuff with him first and eventually he was like do you guys do you guys want to do some shows with me and uh and so we did so so the the four of us like backed him up on on a couple of richard mark's tunes and um and then i kind of stuck around and so did the the guitar player and so we we play with him to this day wonderful uh, yeah and so yeah. that's uh, i guess it's been man i guess it's been like four or five years now yeah something like that yeah 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 he's still he's still sounding great and and yeah. looking great and yeah and uh, uh, South America is one of those markets where I always, I haven't done a whole lot of touring down there myself, but my friends that have, uh, especially friends in the heavy metal world yeah. who have been coming all over the world, you know, t older guys, mm -hmm. they say nobody goes more nuts or appreciates music yeah. more than down there. Yeah, so yeah. I bet that'll be a good time. Yeah, yeah. Um, we went for the first time, and that was my first time in South America uh last year uh yep last year i think around may um i went to argentina i went to chile and um so that, that was a, that was a pretty quick one i think we were there for just over a week or something and this one is those two countries plus paraguay and uh brazil and total of about two and a half weeks but yeah you're right um like they you know played like really nice theaters and the crowd went absolutely nuts and so yeah, I expect the same thing now. So this brings me to my next next question. I think I think I saw on social media just mm -hmm. a few days ago, a few weeks ago. Uh, you were doing a session with Richard, and is it Matt from Vertical Horizon? Correct. And Fee Waybill from the Tubes, Fee. which as an old school Richard Marks sort of fan yeah. like I am, yeah, way before I got the chance to play with him. Fee is one of his old buddies and collaborators since yeah. you watched the first Richard Marks live video, Hollywood Palladium in 87. Fee Waybill is there messing around with him too. You know more so than the, I do. That's so those, amazing. So those two guys have yeah. been... So I saw the picture. I, I went, I bet that was fun. It was so fun. And uh, I, I don't know, were, were the tubes big in, in Sweden? I don't think up? they were. I think they were sort of a musician-only band a little Interesting. bit yeah. and uh again i was born 73 and a lot of my friends are born 66 67 68 that kind of age range yeah they are all like big tubes fans interesting yeah yeah because yeah. they because you know because the, the the tubes were were kind of new to me and um uh and yes they have been friends for a long time we met for you for the first time um a couple a couple of years ago when we did a gig um i forget exactly where it was um 
Michigan or something like that, and uh, and and the tubes opened up, and so we met Vida, and, and he's he's just he's just an amazing guy, force of nature, like yeah. you know, so much energy, so funny, and uh, uh, yes, and you're right, he and Richard have been friends for a long time, and um, uh, and it was funny because I was I played with with Butch Walker, uh, mm-hmm. you know, producer here in L.A. And, and so we were talking about that session and then he started pulling up all these tube songs and then and knew like he was like yeah man it was like basically Toto that that played on all those records on mm-hmm. all those like early t- you know when the 80s tubes records because they played on everything yeah and, and you listen to it you're like yep yep <laughs> that's yeah that's that's Toto right there and I think I think uh, parts of the band Chicago as well or you know it was yeah. like some mix of like yeah you know super baller session guys yeah uh, it's yeah. interesting listening to the, all those L.A. records that those Toto guys played on yeah. in the late 70s because they were so freaking young yes. and so freaking good. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. unbelievable. So uh, speaking of that, I'll, I'll gear nerd a little bit then. So that was the last session I saw your post about. What? Yeah. How, how did you, what's your normal studio setup? Did you use something there in that studio for this session that you just did with them? Or do you have a thing... That that you bring all the time as far as DI and compression and that kind of thing. You know, it's, it's funny. Um, I, I bring a cable maybe, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's kind of how I roll. Yeah. I, I, I have my bases. Um, if, if so, I have an old, you know, Ampeg B15, mm-hmm. um, uh, that's sitting in my little studio here and that is awesome. And, and if someone asks like, do you have an amp? I'll bring it. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I I trust whoever runs the place and whoever's running the session that they have this their stuff that they like and um, and and it's it's not that I'm not interested in it because I'm I'm I'm, I'm very interested in, in 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 recording and composing and and all and gear all all all, <laughs> all the stuff I just don't um, you know this this kind of comes out in in you know mobile recording as well you know what i mean or or long distance collaborations with mm-hmm. people where uh where sometimes you do tracks for for people and i i've just kind of found that i that the best thing that i can do to my ears is a bass and a cable that comes out of it that goes into the interface and i record it and i don't mess with anything no eq no compression no nothing and i send them the tracks and um which is not to say that they aren't going to mess with them and do stuff because i'm sure they are but like to me um you know like a like a good instrument and by good i just mean one that sounds good it could be this japanese weird thing that's hanging on the wall here but mm-hmm. it sounds good right mm-hmm. it has it has a, a, a personality and if it's and if it's that and it's played well um i kind of like it without any without any stuff mm-hmm. on it and and or leave it to whoever's you know running the session or mixing it they can <clears throat> they can do stuff to it if they want to but i sort of feel like this work i know this works in a track because if i record my own stuff if i'm like composing something and i'm um and i'm playing bass on it i don't do anything to it i just play it and it sits there and we're done but if but if somebody else feels like they want to do something to it then I'm, I'm, I'm all about it cool yeah so what's your unless you're recording at your house mm-hmm. how many bases would you bring to a session and what are your sort of favorites and you don't have to commit to this like they're the best bases ever just like no. right now which right, ones right are now? you into right now well so um uh, my, to the two vintage bases that i have that that are that are 
amazing. Uh, I, I'll often bring those, which is my 66 B bass and my 67 Hoffner. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm anything but a you know vintage you know Nazi. Uh, <laughs> so I like yeah. I, I, I don't care. Um, but those two basses sound incredible, and mm-hmm. so I'll often bring those. Um, I have this Oliva Capolo jazz bass that Jimmy mm-hmm. Capolo made and uh, gave to me when I started playing with Gavin DeGraw. So, so the four or five? What's that? Is it a four or a five? Four. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it's a four. And um, he gave it to me in 2004, and uh, knowing that I was about to do a whole bunch of TV and stuff like that, mm-hmm. and that's an incredible bass. And I've, and I've kind of rediscovered the jazz bass um, as... You know, it's such a such a versatile instrument. It kind of it can kind of do anything. Mm-hmm. Like you know, and 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 you're 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 obviously uh, deep into the metal world, and I don't play a lot of that stuff. But every once in a while, I'll play something kind of like that hints at that, or you know, like like I was uh, my, my friends had like kind of like a pop punk thing that was like you know crazy fast stuff, and like the jazz bass sounds amazing in the in those contexts. Mm-hmm. You know, like all the all the all the the glassy high end stuff, but mm-hmm. it sounds beefy, and you know, and then you can go r- turn around and play country gig on it if you have to. Yeah, yeah, that's you know, it's uh, yeah. yeah, and 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 so it, it plays great, and it's a great road bass, and um, so I'll, I'll often take that as well. Very cool. Yeah, uh, I listened to some of your original stuff on your website, and oh. I super enjoyed it. Oh, uh, cool. Because sometimes, you know, obviously you're not defined as just a bass player, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. you do a lot of things. And, right. and but uh, it felt to me, and I hate to use genres, because one of the wonderful things to me about L.A. is you really hear a lot of people intermingling and mixing yeah. stuff out here and just making music for the sake of music. Yeah. But uh, some of your stuff, uh, instrumental stuff I listen to. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was wonderfully simple in the best way of the word, yeah, best, yeah. absolutely best, uh, which is the way I li- yeah, yeah, like yeah. music. Yeah. Uh, and and it sort of leaned a little bit in the Americana direction, I felt. Like I felt there was a yeah. lot of acoustic vibes without at all being country. Yeah. Uh, so your own instrumental music leaning sort of in, in that direction more than, I think here in LA, a lot of guys that play for pop acts like... Mm-hmm you or I do, mm-hmm. when they do instrumental music, it tends to be busier and it tends to be very electric. Right. And, and your stuff, I wouldn't say it surprised me, but it, it, it was sort of like a breath of fresh air to me listening to your cool. original stuff because yeah. it, it, it sounded like you let everything sit and breathe and you used a lot of acoustic instruments. Yeah. How did you sort of arrive at that style? You know, it's interesting. I, I've never been... Um, I've never been tempted to do anything that is a showcase for me as a bass player. Like I'm, I'm mm-hmm. not interested for, yeah. for whatever reason. And again, no judgment on, on, on people who write music like that, that showcases the bass. Um, it's just not something that I'm, that I'm particularly interested in. Um, uh, the, the, I think what you heard is, is just kind of like a reflection of how I got into composing, which is a, f- uh, which is a fairly new thing to me. Or rather, it's something that I did many, many years ago, like when I was still living in Amsterdam, you know what I mean? Like before I ever went to Berkeley, I did some stuff, like recorded some stuff for, for, uh, for particular purposes, like a, like a college play that needed some like incidental music. And so I did a few things like that. Uh, 
and then never did anything but uh, but always thought like man it'd be fun to do some more composing stuff um and the reason i kind of or the, the 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 catalyst for me getting back into it was that when my the band that i mentioned that i moved to la with mm-hmm. um at some point the kind of the writing was on the wall i think about what that that, that wasn't going to go on forever and i and i remember thinking to myself i should i should broaden my horizons or you know what i mean kind of like see what else i want to do um really just you know obviously in terms of generating income but also just you know just just as a i, I like a lot of different things and yeah. uh and a buddy of mine was um uh had has a studio that does a lot of uh scoring and commercial music and he uh and he needed help and uh you know just had had more more work than he could handle just keeping the place uh, uh running and so i started talking to him and i was and i was like this could be this could be good i just had a feeling about it you know and like and he really just needed an assistant and i'd never thought that that i would be a studio assistant but in this particular situation you know because i i, I knew this guy from from new york i had done sessions for him in new york and on base and so things like that and uh so we started talking and uh and i think he saw an opportunity as well because if i started if i was there then he could throw stuff my way obviously he'd have an in-house bass player all of a sudden Mm -hmm. um and so we just we decided to go for it and i ended up uh working for him for about two years and um and so that was around the time that that the band that i was in split up and, and, I, and I obviously didn't have any gigs because I put the sideman stuff on hold for about six years, you know, which is a long time. Um, and I could have picked up the phone and called everyone I knew and <laughs> tell, ask them if they had any gigs or tours or anything like that. But nobody wants to be that guy. And I didn't want to be that guy. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and this seemed like an opportunity to, to do something new, learn something new make some money in the process enough to get by and then let the base thing sort of like happen again organically by itself at the pace that it was going to happen at. Um, and that's kind of exactly what happened. And so I worked, I worked for him for two years and he like literally the first week he started throwing me stuff, you know, in terms of like composing, you know, Mm -hmm. where, um, I had to kind of like re familiarize myself with pro tools and so i did that in a hurry and so i could sort of you know uh the operate <laughs> on, on that level with him and like you know i think the first week you know I did a demo for coca-cola or something like that yeah and he was like you want to do one and and i just decided that i was gonna whatever he suggested i was gonna do you know what i mean even though it was, you know, it felt so over my head, but I, but I did one and it, and it didn't, I didn't get it, but it got pretty close, I think. And mm-hmm. so, and I was like, oh, cool, you know? And so over the years I did a bunch of stuff for him and, and some stuff uh, was, was licensed and uh, just a crash course in composing in that world, mostly commercial. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, and he was there and he was there for me to answer any questions, you know, like just the simplest stuff like, hey, like what's your, like what's a good timpani sample? And he'd be like, oh, and of course I was working on, on his system, right? He had a, uh, like a second computer system. And um, so, you know, access to all these sound libraries and and, uh, uh, and 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 him helping me out when I couldn't figure something out. And 
so so it should got me back got me on the path of composing and then eventually uh as i had hoped the bass thing kind of started happening by itself and i started you know friends who kind of knew that i was in a band before and wasn't really available for sideman stuff realized that they could uh, call on me and and they did and i started doing gigs and then some tours and some more recordings and um and eventually sort of got it back to a place where i think i was in new york and and beyond i think it's now in a I'm better position now than i than i think i ever was over there um but uh but now having the composing thing as a as a a thing that i can do in between tours for instance yeah because you know like 10 years ago if i if i went on tour and then i had another tour two months after that after i came home like I wasn't, I wasn't doing that much. You know what yeah. I mean? Like if, if I had gigs or sessions locally, then I felt lucky. But, um, but to have a thing to do now that I can do on my own terms and yeah. not because somebody called me to do something is uh, that was a revelation. And 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 I heartily recommend it to anyone. And it doesn't have to be this. It could be anything. Anything that you can do that that you are passionate about and you uh, sounds like a like a motivational speaker now that that you can do on your own terms uh in conjunction with this thing that we do where people call us to do gigs or sessions mm -hmm. um is really empowering Certainly, being away from being a full-time sideman on bass and going into that world for two years, it sort of by default changes the way you look at bass when you get back into a more bass-centric place, mm -hmm. I would think, after yeah. two years. Because I, uh, uh, I remember uh, one of the first things I wrote for Primary Guitar, I, I wrote Play Bass Like a Producer. Because mm -hmm. I think we both have producer friends. Yeah. Happened to me a few times where... They'll send me a track it's like, oh, I just played some, you know, I played my little cheap squire and I just edited it. So, but you can listen to that and use what I did if you want. And I'll, and I'll, I'll write them back. I'm like, you know, I, I'd love your few dollars, but you don't need another bass track. Right, right. Yeah. Because some producers, they just, instead of thinking about bass at all, they just played exactly what they song needed. Yeah. And it didn't require a lot of technical skill. Yeah. And I think the more us bass players can learn from our, our, our sort of friends and colleagues that produce yeah. all the time about what they would do if they could yeah. play bass, yeah. I think uh, that's a really valid sort of it, it is. And, and, it, and I, I just realized I didn't really answer your question about like my compositions that yeah. you listen to online. And, and, but, but that's really it. Like the, like the bass is like the last thing I like, literally the last thing I record mm -hmm. after I've sort of like outlined something, um, uh, and, and, and recorded it and kind of made it good. And then I'll, I'll, oh yeah, I'll play some bass and I'll play some bass. I'll do one take. Okay, good. And, uh, um, and I think like a, I think like a composer in, mm -hmm. in, in those, in, in, in those instances. And, um, uh, and so, that's the really, really long way around of saying what you listen to isn't um, like I wouldn't put those things on a record or something like that. You know what I mean? It's more like 
I just wanted to write something that might fit somewhere. Uh, you know what I mean? And and that could be like a commercial, but it could be like a scoring thing, or it could be, it could be like the the theme for a TV show or something like that. Mm -hmm. Like I, I tend to think along those lines when I want to make something. Um, and some of those things I I wrote sort of with my my friend who I was talking about who who I worked for for a couple of years in that studio. Like I, I, I still do stuff for them, and when I have time, uh, and I wish I had more time, um, I, I'll, 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 I'll write stuff that I think fits their aesthetic, and 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 just hand it off to them, and they can run with it and see if it, if they can do something with it. So. so, so when it comes to all the other instruments on your original stuff, like I said, I heard a lot of acoustic guitar. Yeah. Do you are you a multi instrumentalist or do you play other instruments uh, sort of at a level where you do it at home or? Yeah, I mean, I'm 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 a good guitar player. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I started on it, I'm very comfortable on it, and so by extension, I can kind of like, um, you know, play like I I can I can I can make make something happen on a mandolin or a ukulele or something like that and. Um, and you know we had a piano grown up, and so I'm comfortable on a keyboard. Not not to the point where I can play anything that comes in my head, but obviously in this day and age, you know, <laughs> you yeah. gotta like bang it out and 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 make it good. But more and more, honestly, um, I've realized that that uh, and people it's like people who are composers have said this for years, and I, I never really took it to heart, but like don't quantize you know what i mean just like just don't do it mm -hmm. and and i and only recently have i taken it to heart and be like oh right yeah no it's it's really true like like if it's if it's if i'm playing something and it's really not happening <laughs> it's really out of time just do it again a couple times mm -hmm. on a keyboard especially mm -hmm. you know um and then if it sounds good it's good and it's not going to be perfect but that's you know but it's going to be musically uh uh, it's more satisfying than, yeah. than when it's perfect. I think that's. Uh, I think I might have mentioned this on a prior podcast, but sometimes when you're sitting on a chair, you got the engineer in front of you, and you're doing a bass overdub, mm -hmm. and say it's a slow ballad, yeah. and it's one of those things where you know timing is more crucial than say a busy, faster-paced yeah. song. Yeah. And uh, when they listen back to the take, they can't take their eye off the screen because yeah. they're, they're looking to make sure the half notes, the footballs, are right on the kick drum. Yeah. And I go. Why does the music have to look right? Can yeah. it just feel right? Yeah. So I've, I've had a few times where I've said, hey, you know, I certainly don't claim to have perfect time, but a few of these things I try to play slightly behind. So don't don't look at those blobs in your screen because it'll, yeah. it'll fuck with your OCD. I, 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 <laughs> you know? I have a funny story. I, I did a session in when in my Boston days, so this would, would have been, uh, you know, early 90s, and um, with with an engineer and... and and it was like he basically he lived by himself on Newbury Street, and his apartment was uh, was just filled with rack gear, and uh, and he had me come over to play bass on a track, and he had used a um, a James Brown drum sample, right? Like you know, like you can buy or whatever, download anywhere, uh, and and he had me play to it, and I had a and I had a hard time playing to it. You know what I mean? Like harder than I than I thought I should because you know whatever yeah mm -hmm. <laughs> like I'd like to think that I know how to groove <laughs> and so it's you know and something just didn't feel right and I was like oh maybe I'm I don't know maybe <laughs> out of sorts or couldn't really figure it out and he felt it too 
And so we did a couple takes, and yeah, and, and neither of us was super satisfied. And then at some point, and this was the earliest days of like computer r- recording, I think. And at some point he, uh, at some point he points to the screen, to the drum track, <laughs> and he goes, I mean, it can't be the drum track because here, and then he showed me, and he had, talk about quantizing, he had quote unquote fixed the, whatever, the Clyde's double field, tr- you know, drum track, to where every every transient every hit was exactly on on a beat uh, or a bar or a beat line. Oh, that's sacrilege! Oh yeah. my God! Right. Yeah. So so I was playing to a doctored you know Clyde Stubblefield groove that was exact as if you just like banged it out on a. I think he was white and grew up in the suburbs. Oh my God! <laughs> uh, and 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 I was just like, okay, you know, and, and I I was like, yeah, that's yeah, okay, thank you for pointing that out because it made me feel better oh i'm myself. sure it did yeah. that's a soul crushing moment before yeah. you figure that out yeah 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 no and and i and i think I, I think i used to scrutinize my own my own stuff more and just make sure that nothing was out of place and uh and i truly don't do that anymore you know and uh we, we just i just did a bunch of sessions with butch walker and at, at his studio and uh, it, it was one of those things where <clears throat> we were working up songs as, as we were as we were going along, and then oh, what if, what if we do this for the intro and this for the bridge, blah blah blah, kind of working it up. And like and like honestly, like the like the first complete take, the first <laughs> the first time you, you we got from the beginning to the end, you know, the the the, the, the prevailing notion was like, yeah, look, okay, good, yeah, we can work with that. And then they would just go with that. And I think maybe ten years ago, I would have been. Like no, can, can we just do another couple? Like you know, like, yeah. I might have had a couple things that I can do better, and and, and I don't feel that way anymore because, um, you know, there's there, there's there's something there. There's a vibe. If there's anything super crazy, like you just you know played a absolutely wrong note, you can fix it. It's fine. Yeah. But if it's you know you know it sounds good, it sounds good. Yeah. yeah. So since you're, it sounds like the touring that you're doing, popping over to England for one show and now going to South America, it's all fly dates and it's all rental gear, I would assume. Yeah. So uh, is your sort of, your way of getting through these fly dates, do you have a, is it just like, give me an SVT that is operational and I'll make it work or? Basically, um, I do use one other thing, which is, which is, I think is fairly unusual for bass players and I, I am, Actually, wanted to do a video about it for um, for the uh, the people. So it's it's bit, it's fractal. You know, the company mm-hmm. that makes the Axe FX yep. uh, units for that are essentially designed for guitar players. To you know, um, I'm sure most or all of your listeners already know this, but it's basically the um, emulations of guitar amps and, and effects. Um, and I got interested in it because with my with my former band, I had a I had a big pedal board and 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 had some just some some like fun weird stuff going on um, that worked really really well for that band. And, you know, we 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 made a lot of sound between the four of us and didn't mm-hmm. use tracks, and so this was kind of like our way to like you know fill out the sound. But I also realized that as much as I love pedals. Um, it's just such a hassle to lug that whole thing, and 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 as soon as you have a new idea, you kind of have to like reconfigure the whole damn thing, and mm-hmm. and so I started looking for other options out there, and then came up on Fractal, and I think they had just come out with their floor unit, mm-hmm. so it's basically floor a floor board that has that is entirely 
you know, programmable to the nth degree. Uh, not not for for someone who doesn't like tweaking this stuff, but I do, you know. Mm -hmm. And um, so I've been using that for years now. And I was actually just, I'm about to do a video for like the the user forums because I think I I, I don't know a lot of bass players who use this thing, but mm -hmm. it's incredible. And uh, um, uh, and so to answer your question, um, I I kind of take it on all of these gigs now because it can kind of do anything but i don't use it for you know quote unquote bass effects i don't you know other than an octave or maybe once in a blue moon but that's mm -hmm. that's as crazy as it gets but i kind of just use it as a very very subtle tone sculptor uh and or glorified tuner like like my, my main patch is basically um like a tiny little bit of like a little eq bump by like a couple of db in the in the low lower 40s 40 hertz or something like that mm -hmm. just to beef up that jazz bass a little bit uh and then i in parallel i run one of the bass amp simulations in mm -hmm. in it and then whatever i sent to the house is a combination of those those two kind of inspired by what you might do in the studio mm -hmm. or what a mixer might do with your tracks mm -hmm. where they have a direct track and a amped track and you know just kind of like use the two of them to create a satisfying big burly uh bass tone and so i kind of wanted to try that out for live mm -hmm. uh without needing someone to like mic up a rented svt or something like mm -hmm. that and uh and it's worked out great it's you know the sound people that i've worked with uh since i started using it they're all really happy with it because it's a it's a you know it's a dead quiet and you can just take an xlr out of the thing and send mm -hmm. it to the house and um and the, the svt simulation is really good and I just kind of use it to like sweeten up the direct tone. I was just going to ask you the super nerdy details about you said that the the DI the clean DI just mm -hmm. has a little 40 bump there's nothing to yeah. it yeah. no compression no funny business no. but the speaker simulation in it it, yeah. it is a SVT yeah. simulator yeah yeah, uh, yeah. And, and, and I kind of try different things I, I, I kind of go back and forth between different ones I think the, the one that I have on there now is a an SVT head and then a and then a 115 SVT cab and somehow yeah. that combination seems to play well with the direct signal and I think I have if the direct direct signal is at is is at 10 or whatever then the amp signal is probably at like three or four so mm -hmm. it's, you know it, it's not it's not in there very much at all um, but it's but it's really useful because then when I when I kick in uh, uh, like a little drive pedal or something like that, mm -hmm. which I'll do depending on the gig, I'll have that only in front of that amp signal, right? So so that it sort of feeds into that, but not into the direct signal. Yeah. Um, and it's just it's really pleasing. It sounds it sounds good, and you know, especially if you're on in ears, that's what that's what I'm getting in my in ears. Yeah. Uh, and it sounds it sounds big and full and complete. Yeah. And speaking of in-ears, because for us bass players, that's definitely a, sort of an added challenge yeah. uh, to get enough vibe out of them, so to speak, enough yeah. low end. So uh, do you have a set of in-ears that you use that you really feel like, oh, these are really, they seal well and they give me warmth, not just punch to the bass? Yeah, yeah. I, 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 have, I have the solution that will change your life. But it costs a lot of money. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and they're the, it's a company called Sensophonics, mm -hmm. and um, they're you know they're like five times as expensive as what you can get like a you know kind of a low end um, 
uh, what's it called, uh, Ultimate Years for, mm-hmm. um, meaning like you know in like the twenty five hundred dollar range, it's super expensive. But I I I had gone by without in ears for all the years that I <laughs> that I've been doing this yeah. until last year, um, you know, because for so for some reason all the tours, all the gigs I was on were still using wedges. And I was fine with it. Mm-hmm. And um, and then last year, uh, I was asked to go on uh, a three-month tour in Japan with a, with a big Japanese um, uh, rock star, <laughs> basically. Mm-hmm. So big big gig, big stadiums. Um, and so I was like, all right, uh, I need in here. So I started researching it, did the whole, you know, crowdsourcing Facebook, you know, asking people what they thought. And, uh, and, and one friend was talking about Sensophonics and, uh, and so the concept in a nutshell is that there are little microphones on, on the actual earbuds on the mm-hmm. outside of them. Um, and you carry an extra pack on your belt. And, uh, and so the, the, the pack that you get from the monitor engineer will feed your Sensophonics pack with a tiny little cable, right? So it goes mm-hmm. like on your belt, tiny mm-hmm. little cable from one to the other. That's your that's your signal, your whatever the the mix from from uh, the rest of the band and mm-hmm. yourself, and then with the Sensophonics pack, you have a little internal uh, uh, volume knob that you can dial in the real world as it's being picked up by those microphones on mm-hmm. your on your ears, and it's I mean it's incredible because you know in ears as amazing as they are, they're super isolating. They're they are a vibe killer no matter what anyone says mm-hmm. and and you can you can circumvent it to a certain degree by using audience mics and you know having your monitor engineer feed that into your your ears but it's which which makes it makes it a lot better mm-hmm. uh, but it's not the same and and so with these you you just dial in like the way you and I are talking now it, it would you know I, I can I can dial in as much or as little of that as I want um, and so generally up, up to unity gain. And so I usually have it a few clicks back from that. And, uh, and, and so the result is you can get a really, you know, as good a mix as you can possibly get from your monitor engineer, if they're good. And then just augment that with, this, with the sound of the room and of the sound of the band and the sound of the crowd in front of you. And it's all because they're, the microphones are on your ears, mm-hmm. it's directional, fully directional. So, so all the sounds are coming from where they're supposed the play, to. Yeah. yeah, and so if you walk over to the to the drummer, like he's gonna get louder. And, yeah, you know what I mean. And and you might not need as much guitar in your monitor mix because he's standing next to you and his <laughs> his amp is blaring over there. Yeah. You know what I mean. And and um, and if it's too loud, you can turn that volume down a little bit. It's just so vibey. Mm-hmm. And and in, in, under the best of circumstances, it sounds like a concert dvd when you're on stage and so as expensive as it was like that japan gig would pay very well and so i was like all right this seems this this seems like it would make every gig that i do a hundred percent better and it did like like i best money i've ever spent do you with that ringing endorsement do you know the model number or how many drivers they have two drivers two drivers how about that Mm -hmm. yeah yeah, in in this day and age of like eighteen driver, yeah. you know, it's uh, yeah. I've 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 never, um, 
I've never gone there, never had an opinion about whether or not that's necessary. But with these, I, I now know it's not necessary. Mm. And these aren't even like, this is not even like a high and a low end driver. It's like two full range drivers. Mm -hmm. And they sound incredible. They sound beautiful. Like all the high end that I need, all the low end that I need. Um, just really natural. And yeah, they're, they're, they're the best head headphones that I have. Um, so the model number is... Um, uh, it's 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 the it's their ambient system, mm -hmm. and I'm kind of blanking right now. No, on that's what, good. what it exactly is, but but so basically like their flagship uh, ambient system, dual driver, uh, you know. And like I said, expensive, but um, so no, not not for everybody. But um, you know, if, if if you come into a gig where maybe you know either you're you're going on the road for a year and you're like, all right, this is an investment, um, you know, it 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 makes. Like this is such a huge part of what we do, and to f and to kind of feel, to to have every gig feel like you're kind of just getting through it. And I'm like, mm -hmm. oh, that was fine. I hope it sounded great for the crowd. You know, yeah, yeah. Like, but to be a part of that and to feel, you know, and on that Japan gig, like we, like I said, we play huge rooms, and 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 to f to f to feel your music in that room, um, you know, that's huge. Mm -hmm. But I feel like, regardless of the income level of anyone who listens, $2,500 is something that most of us, if we found a base, we really like. We make that happen. Exactly. So in-ears, and many of us have many instruments, so yeah. uh, in-ears is something that you use on every gig, on every song, all the time, and yeah. even in your home studio or in a yeah. session. So yeah. uh, I feel like that might be a great investment, even at that price level, because there are in-ears that cost even way more than that. So True. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I, I, I totally agree with you. And and, and th there are there are cheaper solutions that kind of like do this or claim to do this, and, and a lot of a lot of times it's, it's a little... Um, just a little pin that you pull out of the in-ear, right? That creates a little hole that like lets some of the yeah. air, but it, bra it breaks the seal. It breaks the seal. And so you, and especially for us bass players, that, yeah. that's a killer, you know? And uh, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's I, I can't say enough good things about it. Wonderful. Yeah, and, and it's even like, there, there's even like a bass boost on the, on the, on the Sensophonics pack that you can engage. And when I first got it, I was like, oh, that sounds good. But then I realized quickly when I'm on stage, I don't have it on because uh, because I kind of like to hear really what's going on. You know what I mean? And, and if I need more bass, I'll just have the monitor guy turn me up a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, plus, I I get, you know, from that rental SVT, I, 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 I get some of that. I feel some of it and, mm -hmm. and I hear some of it through the through the ambient system. So, yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Well, I think we really, we covered a lot of stuff. We sure did, man. We covered a lot of stuff. We did. Uh, thanks again for having us over, sort of on short notice, and mm -hmm. to your own home. And mm -hmm. uh, and uh, everyone, please tell them where they can find out more about you and check out your own music and check out where you're going to be touring. You have a website. That's why I'm asking you. Cause I do. I do. Yeah. Uh, it's it's ytunes.com. <laughs> W-H-Y-T-U-N-E-S dot com and uh, yeah it's just kind of you know it has some um, uh, tracks on there that I've played bass on and then has tracks on there that I composed like we talked about and then uh, a third little section I, I started mastering tracks for people a couple mm -hmm. of years ago yeah um, just kind of like fell ass backwards into it and mm -hmm. uh, seemed to have an, an ear for it and so that's yeah that's a little little another little thing I do and uh, and have great fun doing. All right. Kind of on the side. And yeah, so th that's all on there. Whitebeans.com. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks again, man. Thank you for having me. All right.
Thanks again for tuning in, everybody. I really appreciate it. Please let all your friends know about this podcast if they're into music at all. Uh, even though this is a bass player podcast and it's bass-centric, obviously there's a lot of great stories that involve music in general. Down the line, I see myself having players that play other instruments primarily uh, on this podcast, even though it relates uh, primarily to bass. So keep telling all your musician friends about it. Go ahead and give me a review if you feel like it. I have a few great podcasts coming up for you guys in the next few weeks as well. So keep it low, keep it funky, and I'll see you right back here at the Lowdown Society Podcast. (laughs) 